Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. And I'm your host, Adam Cruz. We've got here with me my co-host, Shannon St. Pierre. It is a beautiful day, May 2nd, 2018. This is episode 40. And today's episode is called... This Week in Real Estates. So this episode, we're just going to talk... It's just Shannon and I. You get the two of us, and we're just going to talk about what is going on in our crazy weeks. We just planned to have this episode about 10 minutes ago and I filled up two pieces of paper. Shannon, what's going on with you in real estate this week? So this week uh, I had... So my two challenges are investors from the outside. Investors from the outside of St. Louis? Outside of St. Louis. Okay. So I had um, a both new newer clients for me. So this California couple... I've been talking to for about a month. They came in this weekend and we, from Saturday morning, from the time I picked them up to till Sunday night, 1130, looked at properties. Wow. You were looking at property at 1130 at night? No, by that point, Sunday evening, we went to dinner to discuss all the properties okay. we had seen. But yes, uh, I slept not, not at all. So they came in town. They met you online or something, I guess. Yes. They came in town. They stayed at Which a hotel. Kind of sounds funny when you say that loud. <laughs> <laughs> we met online. Well, we don't. You know, we're both married. We don't get to do online dating, but we get to meet people <laughs> online still. I guess. Did yeah. you, when you were going to all these properties, if you don't mind me asking, yes. did you have some way for them to somehow keep track of each house and like rate each house or something like that? So nothing formal. And I guess that's kind of the question. So I had sheets, obviously, the printouts for each um, of the properties that Uh we had scheduled anyway. And we walked the properties, kind of pointed out things that may be of, you know, concern or that might come up in an inspection report Uh or might need fixed. Um, their strategy is buy and hold. So none of these are flips. So it's just, it's, it's always interesting, you know, when people are newer to the investment game, they do have a few properties. They're buying some over in Kansas City. St. Louis is another market that they're honing in on. Okay. And it's, I think when you're newer to rentals, uh, you want to tend to fix things up. Right. When you don't really They want it to be as to. nice as their yeah. house is in California. Right. And so it was, um, it's interesting to kind of tell people to come back down a little bit. But then it's a challenge also to guesstimate what repairs will cost. Like, how much is this roof? How much is that roof? What are new gutters? What about landscaping? What would it cost to do all, you know, all new flooring? And I'm like, I I, I can give you a range. Yeah. Just like you'll see online. A thousand. Who are you going to hire? What kind of flooring are you going to do? Whatever, right? Right. So, and it also depends on what kind of flooring. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, is it smarter maybe to go with tile because it'll it's a little bit more durable in a rental, but it's a little bit more expensive than say linoleum squares right. or something of the sort. So that's always a challenge. And then not to mention it's we have this huge market for investors from the outside looking in at St. Louis right. and we seem very affordable. They were so insistent. She's like, but I want to look at these $5,000 properties, these $10,000 properties they keep seeing online. And I'm like, we have those. We absolutely have those. I don't think that that's your market. That's because they give me their criteria. So based on that criteria, that's not going to fall within your criteria. 
And she's like, yeah, but for $5,000, I'm like, yes, except for you will be putting 75 into it at the minimum. Just and to- then it'll be worth 30 Yes. So did you drive them to any of those properties just to... I did. I had to. Fancy? As much as she would not take my advice, I said, you know, I... I by the time Friday came about before they arrived, I'm like, she's not letting it go enough that I was, I was like, I'm adding a couple of these to the list. Which, okay, so just to be clear, you're not saying that you have a problem selling someone a $5,000 house. You're saying... It didn't meet her it criteria. It didn't meet her criteria. Yeah. That, right. All day long, you can sell you five and $10,000 properties. It doesn't meet the criteria on any level. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even come close. I can't squeeze out any because kind of Because they don't want to have to do a bunch of rehab? Right, and they, um, right, and it's got to have a priest for more than what they're putting into it. I, it's really interesting when somebody comes into town or even someone that's from town and they want to look at so many properties because you got to really have this like stamina A to keep going, mm-hmm. and then there's got to be some sort you guys have to like do something to take breaks or to, to kind of cut through the monotony, right? Because what from my experience, you'll go and go and go. And then next thing you know, we've looked at eight houses already today. And then on the ninth house, we like we open the door, we walk through, we leave, we drive to the next one, and we're not even thinking about it anymore. It's like we just have to go to 17 houses today and we're just looking at, you know, but you're, um, I had one client a long time ago that made this spreadsheet and on the, I guess, the uh, side of the, the columns of the spreadsheet was everything that was important to him. You know, how's the garage? How's the kitchen? How many bedrooms? How's the loo? How's the view? All that stuff. How's the loo? How's the view? (laughs) You like that? And then across the top was all the addresses that we were going to. And then so for each house we went to, he would rate each of those things. Kitchen. Well, that's an eight out of a 10. Backyard. That's a seven out of a 10. He did that. His wife did that. And he gave me a sheet and I did it too. Mm -hmm. And so then when we took our break after a few houses, we would go and he'd be like, okay, which property has the best score? You know? And then I think they ended up buying the one that had the highest score, quote unquote, from from us. That's interesting. So then from that experience, did you actually create any kind of form or sheet that when you are working with investors and you're looking at 30 properties and you have to squeeze them all in because they're, yeah. they flew in specifically to do nothing but look at properties? Um, I I mean, I still have the spreadsheet. I did recreate his spreadsheet, and I think it could be used, but it's going to have to be kind of different for each person. His column was like, how's the backyard? How's the kitchen? These people's column, I guess, is going to be how much is the rent? You know, How much work are we going to have to put into it? Those two things mainly. I mean, how's the neighborhood or whatever, but those are the things that they probably care more about. And I think the big part of your tour was probably more like just showing them what St. Louis is all about, showing them what it has, the different areas what you can get for the money, right? I mean, they're not going to buy 30 properties. They're probably buying a couple at most. Right. So I think their goal was um, 20 properties total. So 10 in Kansas City, 10 here in St. Louis. And Mm -hmm. that may be skewed one way or the other, maybe um, based on what they can buy. And I think that that's the other challenge is that investors have these really strict criteria sometimes the Mm -hmm. whole 70 30 plus it has to meet this rent factor yeah the rent divided by what they purchase it or have or all in for and the and that certain factor um so it's it can be an extreme challenge well uh, 
It would have been great if they would have bought 10 properties this weekend, right? But more likely this trip, if it was their first one, was about right. learning about St. Louis, the different areas, meeting you, kind of getting comfortable with you, and then you really learning their formula and what they want and what they like and that type of thing. And so probably next time they won't even have to come in. You can go, hey, guys, check out this house. It's in that neighborhood that you loved. You know, maybe do like a video walkthrough with them, mm-hmm. right? And right. they'll be like, I get it. Because right. I've been there, I've seen it, and now they can buy them. And that's pretty much it. So it's a husband wife, and so at at the end, he's like, "So I think, I think you understand where we're going, and what we're trying to accomplish, and our criteria." And so if she comes back in, you guys could probably work, to, you know, work together. So she only half of the team might come back in versus okay. both of them, but um, eventually it would just get down to the numbers. All right, so uh, I'll give an update if you don't mind. Please do. All right. So I had uh, my update is more like all these updates are more like just weird things that happened and stuff that come up. You know, part of the reason I love real estate is because I've been doing it so long, but new stuff comes up every day, right? All the time. And so this week, one of our agents asked us, he said, if someone is selling a house and there was a suicide there, do they have to disclose it? I said, no, they don't. Missouri is what we call a non-disclosure state and you don't have to disclose if a death happened in the house. And he said, but what if they had got insurance claim because of it? Yes. And I was like, well, let me think about that. And so we, he, we pulled out the seller's disclosure statement. And it, there is a part of the seller's disclosure statement where you have to disclose if you've ever had any insurance claim and what it was for. And so in this case, I'm guessing they made an insurance claim to kind of come in and clean up or whatever after the suicide. And so now if his client buys this house, when she goes to sell it, any time in the future, and she's filling out the seller's disclosure statement, she is going to have to disclose, yes, there was an insurance claim, and, you know, because they had to clean up from a suicide, I'm not exactly sure, like, exactly what she'll have, how much detail she'll have to give, but she will have to disclose it, and I think it ultimately, it will definitely come out to the new buyer that there was a death in the house. Okay, so question on that, because uh, I heard um, that agent talking, and we kind of bantered back and forth. And so now if, so if the new buyer buys a house and does every time a buyer buys a house, they have to fill out whatever past information, past claims, even though it was a previous owner, like it, it doesn't. So specifically, I guess that was kind of one of those things. Is it specific to that particular owner at that time or every previous owner if it was disclosed in previous disclosures? Well, first of all, I like to say I'm not an attorney and every situation is different. So if you have something like this come up, anyone who's listening, consult an attorney or you know, contact us and we'll try to talk through it based on your situation. But my interpretation of that at this time, Shannon, is that this buyer knew about the insurance claim. So when she goes to sell, she should disclose it because she knows about it. I would think that there's no duty on her to go and do some sort of research somehow and find out about any past insurance claims, right? But if she knows about it, she should disclose it, right? Mm-hmm. Just like it asks, oh, has a dog ever lived in a home? Well, if you had a dog, you have to say yes, right? But right. in my opinion, if you knew the last owners had a dog, the safest thing to say would be, yeah, the people who lived there before me had a dog. That was 12 years ago, but they had a dog, right? right? But I don't think it's on her to somehow research the history of the home and if anyone else has ever had a dog before that. 
Right. Just what you know kind of thing. So then the, the, that brings up that question because then we kind of went down a whole different road and this is not what I advise, but the way... A, so the other option is for that current seller does not fill out a seller's disclosure, she which I think you often see mm-hmm. is that seller's disclosures aren't necessarily filled out. And so then the next owner, because it's not written anywhere, doesn't technically have the information yeah, I mean, I, pass along. I think that that's true. If she goes to sell and they say, oh, nope, no seller's disclosure statement will be provided, right? I think that'll raise red flags for the buyer, especially if this is like a traditional real retail type of deal. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think that there would be necessarily a duty for her to disclose that, like to go out of her way to disclose it, like a latent defect, you know, like she should disclose if there's mold or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I guess that is a way for her to get around it, I guess. Because they're not asking specifically, and then so she doesn't have to answer that specifically. Okay. So what else you got? Let's see. Oh, we had an agent who thought they were going to go and buy a house. Like, they got a they got a lead for this guy who wanted to sell his house. And all he wanted was what he, what he owed on it, right? And what he owed on it seemed like a kind of a low number. And so her and I did all this, like, research and back and forth and prepared for the meeting and did the comps and I drove by the house and we did all this stuff to kind of get ready for this meeting that she had and which she was planning on going by and buying the property and uh, doing a rehab and you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was just so interesting because the whole thing seemed like a really good deal and not quite too good to be true, but a little bit too good to be true because the house was in a really popular area of town and, and it was like the seller was uh, you know, a, an attorney like they should have known exactly how good the market is and all this kind of stuff so it seemed like wow this is a really good deal and maybe too good to be true right and it was just she went there and was all excited and found out that there was like close to sixty thousand dollars in foundation work that needed to be done so the house was great everything's cool but then you go down to the basement and it's like oh my gosh that obviously just ruins the whole deal so what was wrong with the foundation like cracking or you just leaning Um, i didn't I don't know. I didn't ask her that too deep. I called her after the meeting to see how the meeting went. And she said, oh, no, we didn't put an offer in. The foundation needs tons of peering, I guess. So there's lots of settling, that kind of thing happening. Um, I, I don't. I didn't go into details about the specific problems. Along those lines, I guess along the suicide lines that we were just talking about, we, we had a, another agent who wrote an offer on a property and um, did his inspections. They got, they paid and did their inspections. Mm-hmm. And then after their inspections, the listing agent basically without meaning to, I guess, disclosed that there had been big damage to the house in the past. And this tree had fallen on the house and it caused a bunch of damage to the roof and the bricks and stuff. And so the, our buyer is saying, I never would have bought, I never would have put a contract on the house if I knew about that. A, cause there's like some sort of structural problems. And B, I definitely wouldn't have spent my $500 on inspections. That's just what they spent on whatever inspections they got. And so, A, I definitely want out of the deal. And B, give me my money back for the inspections because you should have just. Now, how did she find out? The listing agent just kind of, it just kind of came up in conversation where the listing agent mentioned it. Okay, but was was there a seller's disclosure? It wasn't on there. But there was there a, a filled out, not just a seller's disclosure, uh-huh. but it actually filled out. There was a disclosure. filled out seller's disclosure and nothing about an this insurance had claim or anything. Uh, I don't think so. 
I'm not sure about the insurance claim. Maybe there was no. I, I didn't get into that detail about it, but the fact is, there was a huge problem that happened. But there were that, repairs made, and it does ask you kind of in that yeah, format. Yep, and they didn't disclose it. I think there were still problems too, actually. So, so maybe some repairs were made, but there were still problems. And the point is, if you know about something, you should disclose it, right? And as agents, if we know about something, we should really encourage the seller and probably. Um, in, maybe require the seller to disclose it on the seller's disclosure statement. But I, and I can totally understand the frustration from the buyer because they just put out $500, you know, yeah. for an inspection that. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. I'm, I'm encouraging the, our agent to try to get that money back. And I mean, I think ultimately it's, Hey, either give us the money or we're going to have to take you to small claims court. And have you ever had a scenario like that in the past where, Something was not disclosed that should have totally been disclosed. Yeah, I'd have to think about any specifics, but that um, I think that that remember the case where the people had written like kind of snuck wording into the mutual release about how the sellers had to oh, pay mm-hmm. for the inspections, and uh, they kind of like basically tricked the seller into signing this mutual release that said that they would give them seven hundred dollars. That was all because of something like that that they should have disclosed something that they didn't disclose. So that kind of thing comes up. Let's That's see. We we're dealing with uh gas the gas company. I guess I don't I try not to name names on the on the podcast, but we're dealing with <laughs> the local gas company. Who, or a local gas company. A local gas company. <laughs> Is there more than one? I don't know, but um I've had this problem with them in the past where they come out, they do an inspection, they find problems. You know, my client pays someone to fix the problems. They come out to do the gas company comes out to do the reinspection and they find different problems. Yes, all the time. Every single the time. The client pays someone to fix those problems. The gas company comes out again. And this is what I'm dealing with now on one of my listings. And it actually turned out the third time the gas company came back, they said, oh, actually that leak that we keep talking about is actually outside of the house. So we'll pay to fix it. So the gas company is paying to fix the leak. But forget the fact that they charged the guy for two inspections and he had to fix a bunch of problems that probably weren't even like necessarily needing to be fixed. You know, I guess they needed to be fixed in some way if he had to pay to fix them. But I think what happened was they said there's a leak. They didn't necessarily tell him where. And so our, our client basically had a gas company come out and they kind of like found some work to do, I think is sort of what happened. And now they're debating about something that they're calling a... Um, a flame disturbance, which is something to do with the uh, pilot light or the heat exchanger or something like mm-hmm. that. And their H- my client's HVAC company is saying there's no flame disturbance, but the gas company is saying there is, and there might, he might have to buy a whole new furnace, even though the HVAC company is saying there's nothing wrong. And so we'll see what happens with that. But so I kind of had something like that along. Not, it's, it, but we kind of come against that a lot, actually. He said, she said, they said. And you have all these opinions in there. And so the, um, we, I, have a, I have the buyer. We have a contract on a house. We did the inspections last week. We turned in the inspection notice. Um, the inspector called out, you know those stars you see on the side of the house? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't really know a lot about them other than you see them mm-hmm. sometimes. And sometimes you just don't. Apparently, it's kind of a whole structural thing. It's it, how they built the house. They tie into the wood joists. It's what ties the wood 
the floor joists into the brick. Uh-huh. So there's different methods to doing that. It's kind of like holding the sandwich together, right? Yes. You know, because in a full brick house, and you see them all the time in the city, the joists are just kind of run into the brick um, wall, and you've got to kind of attach it somehow. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like there's a, a few different ways during the building process. But it, the inspector is like, oh, you have... Two holes there. You're missing stars. The the stars. Those are those should probably be there. So yeah. we employed um, instructional engineers. We actually have two um, that we kind of conversed with and consulted with to determine on if they were truly structural. What we have to do. What is the fix? And um, go around and around. And I mean, both me and the listing agent spent hours upon hours and now not to mention our fees that are going to come into play for these structural engineers and then i show up at the house today and i i'm standing there with the contractor he goes those aren't holes for the stars do you see that plate at the end of the corner of that building he goes they all have to be in line that's where the floor joists are those holes are way too high those are from a abandoned conduit line they must have run some electricity at some point or phone lines or something of the oh sort gosh. and so it's abandoned um conduit line and i'm like i i'm like oh my gosh it is way too high when you start looking at the perspective mm-hmm. here's the window then the hole's just you know not even 12 inches below it it can't be possibly the floor and it definitely doesn't line up with the the other plate that's at the corner of the building and so we go around and around and now Though the biggest problem is, I have to convince the buyer that those are not holes for stars. Why do you have to convince them? Can't the contractor just tell them that? No, um, because the inspector told them that. So it's like the word of the inspector is now going to override almost everyone, including the structural engineer. So we'd have to get the inspector back out and say, here's what the contractor's saying. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah. So now we're going to have to get the structural engineer, the inspector, the buyer, and everybody to stand there and look at this hole and agree to what what it actually is. Okay, interesting. So just to kind of give a little bit more info to the listeners, I guess a lot of the brick houses, I, big, I basically picture sort of like a big pole kind of like that goes from the one, like the right side of the house to the left side of the house. And on the end of each pole, the pole sort of sticks out two inches or something on each side of the house. On the end of each pole is like threading, and then they screw this, which is the shape of a star, but it could be anything, onto that. And so then, if the can you can all the listeners see my hands? Because if they could, yeah, that would they help. absolutely. But so and then that allow that disallows the bricks of the house or the walls of the house to kind of spread outward. Okay, right? so then thus there lies the problem because there's a couple different ways that those stars are used in the construction of these buildings. And that was the initial. We thought the tie rod went from one end, from mm-hmm. one side all the way to the other. That doesn't, that's not necessarily... Always Im- the case? And actually often not the case. Okay. So think of these stars as more like anchors. You know, when you're hanging a picture, a really heavy picture, and you put an anchor in the wall and it yeah. pops out? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what these stars are. Is on the other side, it's just kind of this like an anchor holding, just holding in the joist, that end of the joist into that brick wall. Oh, okay. They're totally, the one thing I learned today from the structural engineer is they're absolutely independent of each other. Interesting. Okay. So 
the, that remember that house I took a picture of me and the patch in the basement and it was this crazy basement I posted on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, <laughs> but in that house they had sort of like taken down the back half of the second story and made this like two story loft, but those big wires were going across, and so that was my first time ever seeing kind of like the inside of the wires. And in that case, it must have been the way I described it. And, and in a lot of cases, I guess it's like you're describing it. Like so. a tie rod. Yeah. So those are kind of the tie rod. These were like more bolts. And then, it, then the engineer is like, well, no, you don't need them. I'm like, so I think this engineer loves to go into the history and how it was done. And then the buyer misinterpreted that it should have been done and mm-hmm. needs to be done that way again. But Today, the clarification came about. He's like, you don't need them now unless the wall is bulging. Well, that's great to get everybody out there and get everyone on the same page. Yes. And, you know, put up, put it to rest, basically. You know, I'm glad you're willing to do that as an agent versus just trying to, like, come to the quickest solution and, you know, the easiest thing. I, I love that you're doing what I think represents what our company would want, which is kind of like going above and beyond and making sure that everyone's on the same page and everyone's comfortable and the buyers are educated and happy and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, and it, but it goes to your point that you just, it, we learn stuff all the time, Yeah, all the time. And it's just, it was really interesting. And now uh, just to learn about the stars, their function, what they do. I mean, who knew? I didn't know. Next time now you go to Gringo Jones with your husband, you're walking around and you see a little basket with a bunch of those stars. You're be like, Ding. you're going to be like, let's talk about these stars, honey. And he's gonna be like, Oh my gosh! Here we go. Yeah, that's pretty much right. Okay, so I have a deal where I'm. I have a listing on a home. We have it under contract, and part of the agreement was that the, the seller, when I listed the property, had kind of like half finished the basement, right? And so what they had said on the contract, it, it was hard to get it under contract because everyone would be like, "Oh my god, I love the house!" And then they would go downstairs and be like, "Hold on, what's going on with the basement? It's like half finished. There's tools everywhere, drywall sitting around." And so we got a buyer. They agreed that they would put a contract on the house contingent on the seller finishing the basement, yep. right? Or mm-hmm. hiring a contractor to finish the basement. So we got contractor bids. They agreed on the bid, all of this stuff. It's supposed to close in uh, about 11 days from now, <laughs> right? And what's happening is the buyer's agent, in my opinion, is not doing a great job setting expectations for their buyer. Okay, in right? what way? Like. Take because us all of that. In general, uh, tell me about a construction project that you've ever done or seen on TV or anything. Everything kind of seems to happen in, at the last minute, right? Always. Always, right? And so we got this deal under contract. And then she, her buyer's like, oh, when are they going to do the work? I'm nervous about the work. And so like three days later, they go over there. Oh, my God, nothing's really been done. I'm like, yeah, they're like planning it out, getting it on their schedule. They're, you know, they're going to have to make lists and get the supplies or whatever. And then the two weeks later they go over there and it's like, there's progress, but there's just not as much. Pro- uh, they're like nervous that we're not going to get it done on time. Right. And so then they sent us, um, we have all, all of this sewer lateral line work has to happen in the basement floor. They have to tear up the floor and do all that stuff mm-hmm. before they can kind of finish the basement around it. Right. So the contractors doing other work in the basement, while the plumber is getting this on their schedule to come and do the floor, the lateral line program. And then at the very end, the contractor is just going to have to put in the flooring and everything's going to be done. But the, my, my point is the agent is not doing a good job of setting her buyer's expectations because he's freaking out that the work's not going to be done in time. 
And she, I guess, is just sort of like letting him freak out about that instead of saying like, this is normal. Uh, you know, A, we have recourse if it's not done on time. But B, at what const- construction project have you ever seen that didn't kind of come down to the last minute? And not that it has to be that way, but it just seems like it generally does. And we have a deadline, and the way it's going now is everything is going to be done by the deadline. And it's going to be done properly, and everything's going to be done right. But she sent an email saying, oh my gosh, my buyer is freaking out that it's not going to be done on time, and he wants to back out. Here's a mutual release. And I'm going, okay, but it is going to be done on time, and you don't have a contingency to back out. Like This is not an option that you have right now to just back out. You know, and they're trying to give us the earnest money, and I'm like, "You, no, no, my sellers have spent all this money finishing the basement based on your contract. You know, you guys have agreed to buy the house, and you can't just back out now. This isn't how this works, you know. And so, I'm not sure exactly what's going to end up happening with this deal, but it's it's just it's like frustrating to me because I I really think it's a problem that's that we're dealing with that shouldn't happen. So did you ask if there's – because in my head, the first thing I think of is, well, of course construction jobs come down to the last minute because one thing has to be done before the next thing is can happen, mm-hmm. then the next thing. Mm-hmm. And then all the finishing work can all be done kind of together mm-hmm. and everybody – five people yeah. can be in there at the same time. That's why it always comes down to the last right. minute. But – so the first thing that went through my head, is there another problem? Like, what's what's the other problem? We never know what's going on in the buyer's personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, did they find a different house? Did they break up with their girlfriend? Did they lose their job? Just I don't know. In general. She's not telling us any of that. She's saying it's because of the work. And uh, she's sa- but we have done uh, at least one one-week extension on closing. Like, but this was... Three weeks ago, we we thought, man, it's going to be a little tight on that timeline. Me and the agent were talking. Hey, why don't you know? It doesn't hurt the seller. It doesn't hurt the buyer. Let's just give them an extension that way. Because I think the buyer was always nervous that they were going to do like shoddy work just to get it done fast, mm-hmm. right? And so it's kind of like, well, let's just give them an extra week then. You know, who cares, right? And that's what we did. I think we did that twice. But now the agent is telling me. Like, oh, we've done all these extensions and all these delays and it's really put this hardship on the buyer and he's living in boxes and it's all this stuff. And I'm like, but you never told me any of that. Like, I didn't beg for an extension and you had to fight me on it, but you just agreed just to make the deal happen or whatever. Like, we both kind of had this, hey, it's all good. Let's just make an extension and everyone's going to be happy kind of attitude. I had no idea that this was causing any sort of hardships for the buyer at all. But that's interesting, too. Like, he's living on these, out of these boxes. But why not allow this deal to continue to happen? Because he's not going to find any place else. Well, that's why you're probably right that there's some other factor at play, you know? Yeah. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, we're not just going to let you out of this because of all the time and expense and everything that my buyer, my seller's gone to. But I'm also like... It's literally the whole, all of the work is literally going to be done in two days. So can you kind of like hold your emotions together for two more days, go there Friday night and be like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. You know, like they do at the end of every single TV show. Yeah. Way ahead of schedule. We're, well, we're about a week before closing. Okay. So that that'll allow their appraiser to go back and see the work being done. That's That's why we needed to be done that we kind of set ourselves this like tight timeline to give the appraiser time to go back and say, Verify. yep, it is done, you know, and which is plenty of time. A week is probably way more time than he needs. We're actually kind of ahead of schedule in a lot of ways, but 
like you know, like I said, the reveal. I'm like, if he goes over there and sees the reveal, he might be a lot happier. But don't take. I I just don't think it's a great idea to take kind of a uneducated buyer, and I don't mean uneducated in life, but I mean if the inexperienced. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah, if they've never been on construction sites and stuff like that, you know, to go over to your new house and see mud on the basement floor because they just had to tear up the floor for the lateral line and mm-hmm. you see drywall dust everywhere and stuff. It, he's not going to go over there and get the, the warm, comfortable feelings. I get that, you know, but I think it's the agent's job to either not go or really set that expectation. Like, Oh, this is totally normal. I've been to a hundred construction sites and this is always how it looks. You know, don't worry. It's going to be done. It's going to be beautiful. They're going to clean it up. You know, it's going to be great. Right. Yeah, but yeah. that's why the staging business exists is because people just can't see that. Right. So I'm, I'm really, I'm frustrated in general. Um, I think my seller, I, I don't know. We'll see if she ends up, if this deal dies, if we can't hold it together, which it looks like it's going to, I think she might end up being able to sell it for more money because this has been going on for so long that the market's improved and she might end up being a better spot, but, uh, we'll see. And you know, the, I'm just hoping for the best, I guess, with this. Yeah, for everyone. On a positive note, <laughs> uh, I have a tenant who moved out of one of my rental properties. And another tenant... So he moved out like last Friday. And then another tenant is moving in this Friday. So one week window, it's pretty tight. It's great that we already had the tenant lined up. you know, So we didn't have to have That's it awesome. vacant and listed and all that stuff. It's awesome. And we go over there for the walkthrough, crossing our fingers that you know there's nothing major wrong right right and i told you this is going to be a positive story we walk in and this place is as clean as i've ever seen it nothing is broken everything's in great shape like all the even the blinds that we installed last year are still like in great shape and this was as clean i I called and i canceled the cleaner that we already had scheduled i'm like (laughs) there's nothing for them to clean and there's no reason for us to take a single dime out of this tenant's security deposit because he did an awesome job. Wow. Now that's um, a nice turn of events. <laughs> nice turn of events. Like, so then my brother and I own that building together oh, that right. I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And we went over there with these expectations. We had like our drills and all this stuff to like ready to fix some stuff. And then it was all fixed. So instead it was great because then instead we had like two hours on Sunday morning, you know, to do the stuff. So instead we like, raked the yard and pulled some weeds and like painted some exterior things to prolong the life of the building and stuff like that. But it was just like, Oh, this is awesome. You know? Wow. Thank you. Renter. Thank you. Renter. Especially owning, you know, I own so some property. So where did that renter go? Like he sounded like he was an awesome renter. He was an awesome renter. And I think he might end up buying and we've been looking like a little bit of property for him to buy and stuff like that. But he travels a lot for work. He, I called him yesterday and he's like, oh, I'm in China. I just woke up. You know, he's like, he's always gone. Oh. And so I think he's like moving into a friend's basement, like for free or close to nothing to save money to, to buy this house. Okay. I like that idea. He's gone all the time anyway. Yeah. But so, uh, you know, I own this property with my brother who is amazing, whatever, but he also hasn't been in that many, you know, crazy properties, especially that I have. And so I'm really thankful that we didn't go over there and this place was was nasty or whatever because I think he would have really freaked out. And so he probably doesn't even know what he would have 
gone through mentally if he would have seen some of the stuff that you and I have seen, <laughs> you know. But it was it was really nice to have his experience of owning this rental property with me so far be a really positive experience, you know. Uh, except for not to be a negative Nancy or anything, but um, you've kind of set the the bar a little high because that is not the it norm. It is not normal, right? Necessarily, um, it's not normal. But it's all, honestly, it's also not normal that we're going to just give this guy like for a for a landlord to be so fair to just we're going to give him like all of his security deposit. And I mm-hmm. we try to be fair as manage property managers and landlords, but a lot of companies don't. You know. A lot of companies, even though he did such an amazing job, would still find some way to take advantage of him. And then that uh, would probably cause him next time to not be as great of a tenant, you know? Yeah, but you're going to keep it anyway. Yeah, philosophy. Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting one. So we got a call for someone who wanted to list their property. And uh, I guess to me, this is interesting for two reasons. A, because of the story, which I'm about to tell you, but also like, I found over the years that it seems like everybody thinks they know about real estate and so many of them just have these like really interesting perspectives. Like a lot of times they're, they're wrong basically, you know, just, HGTV, just to say it Zillow there and they're <laughs> just have these crazy perspectives, right? So this guy wants to sell his house. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We love it. Anyone who else wants to sell their house, call us. I promise we won't talk about you on the podcast, but he wants bodyguards at every showing to protect all of his stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So let's, so what stuff are we trying to protect? Because my response would be like, okay, that's absolutely fair. I totally get that. I mean, it's gotta be a really, it's a really hard thing for a seller to just go, these random strangers are going to be walking through absolutely. my house. And um, I don't know who they are or anything. Yeah. You don't know anything about them. But then at the same time as agents, we do this all the time. Buyers aren't really, they're, they really are looking at the house and the space and they're not really uh, shopping the stuff. Um, yeah. But at the same time, then the next, the next point to be made is that if there's anything of value, it does need to be removed from the He should the remove home. it, yeah. And if he thinks everything in his home is valuable, then, so what our agent suggested, which I thought was great, because he wants to buy another house, our agent was like, why don't you buy the other house first, get all your stuff moved, and then we'll list it. Right. Then and then you don't have to worry about this. Point three is then just go ahead and vacate. Yeah. But it's true. If if he left his stuff in there, if there was a shady buyer who's mm-hmm. a dirty thief, right, and they were either in collusion with their realtor who happened to also be a dirty thief, or if they just distracted the realtor or something like that, it wouldn't be that hard to do, right? And they stole stuff from the house. And then that owner calls his listing agent and goes, you know, my watch is missing, mm-hmm. right? Right. We're not going to say, well, we'll have a check for $1,000 made out to you right away, sir. You know, it's like, right. uh, we don't know what to tell you exactly, right? Because A, you should have removed the valuable stuff, but that's that's kind of unreasonable that a seller should really remove all of their everything of value from their entire house, you know? And so there's, there is sort of like a, I don't know, a gray area, I guess, where there's some, definitely some trust happening, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, but, and I think, so I think the best option is to move out of the property and have it staged. In this guy's case. Yeah. In this case. Um, 
But I have seen many, many um, listings where where the listing agent has to be present for all showings. Yeah, I, that, you see that, but I, I still don't even necessarily like that, right? Because, well, it's not a good option because then you're you're um, a it's you have to do it on well, you have mm-hmm. to do it on her schedule and your schedule. Now you have three schedules you have to match up. Mm-hmm. Matching up two is hard enough. Matching up three, right? Is and what that's going to stop is the buyers filling up their car with personal property because the listing agent would obviously notice that happening, right? right. But if the listing agent is there. And she's talking to the buyer's agent and Mr. Seller, for example, and then Mrs. Or Mrs. Uh, Mr. Buyer, I mean, and then Mrs. Buyer is downstairs or upstairs or filling up her purse with watches, right? The listing agent being there isn't even going to stop that. Not really, because a listing agent would have to follow them around the house, which makes the whole experience really awkward and, and make them both stay together. You two need to stay together yes. at all times so and in my sight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... What was the price range of the home? Um, I, th- I think it's in the 150s-ish. Okay, so normally we would see that in not even half, but usually the, mul- the million-dollar properties on up. Yeah, and it's, but it's, I've, I've had it happen to us, and it's just like I say, the, the listing agent kind of stands in the foyer and just sort of, they're, I don't think they're really there for security. I mean, they, they, might, they might think they are, or the seller might think they are, but uh, it's... There's been a couple times where it is sort of helpful, I guess, because they can tell us about like the history of the property or some of the amenities, you know, if there's a bunch of acreage or whatever. It's it's not always terrible, but it's not great for security. I think it's great to like help us learn about the history and the amenities. Yes, but not it has no security provided. It would be interesting like to have bodyguards. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I just actually I've never had that request. I haven't heard of it. I think it's kind of but what would he do? It's it's really more like how are you gonna? But yeah. go through the house, blah blah blah. But whenever you leave, I'm gonna search you. No, the bodyguards would follow around the buyers. Follow around. Yeah, so we'll need a couple follow. bodyguards there at all times. Yes. Three to four. How many people will be in your showing? Three. Okay, we're gonna need three bodyguards hired. I think it would be very costly though for the seller. It's it's. I'm making a joke of it because it's ridiculously unreasonable. Right, you know? but I'm saying for what you're going to get in that price point. We do use, at Herman London, most of the time we use this certain kind of lockbox on the house that can track which agent showed it. So if you do notice something missing, you can at least track which agent was there. Still going to have a hard time proving that, you know. But uh, did we talk on our last podcast or was that just in our meeting that we talked about cameras? So we didn't really talk about it. So I was just going to say, so, you know, the new thing, though, is the camera and the audio. Mm -hmm. Not just cameras, but the audio. Yeah, I mean, I think cameras would be great to protect, you know, to be able to see if someone stole your stuff. If, A, we're not saying if cameras are legal or not, because we don't know. We tried to research no, it, and it's kind the, of a gray area. I kind of got the impression that they generally are, but don't take my advice. It seems very gray to me. But they're definitely not legal in private areas. You can't have a cameras in, like, a bathroom or something like that, where what they would say you'd, like... The expectation of privacy exists, I think. Yes. Um, but I think you, I think you can have one like in the living room or the dining room or the kitchen mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think all buyers should probably assume at all times that they're on camera, you know, and not say, "Oh my gosh, we would pay X for this house." You know, it's just just assume someone's listening. You know, uh, I don't want to talk about too much about cameras because I 
I love cameras, but I don't know the exact legality and what disclosure should happen, you know. Should you have a big smile, you're on camera sign on the front door to the property, you know? And I think it's the audio that was even the most questionable because knowing if they're recording. That's your list? I'll it's keep kind going. Of my list. Yeah, keep going. Okay, so I had a fourplex that I wanted to buy. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh-huh. What? I have a goal, though. I have a new goal, and I don't know if this is the place, cause, uh, but I do have a goal that I thought would be really fun for you and me. Okay. So go with your fourplex and then we'll go. Okay. I was just going to tell you, I had a fourplex that I wanted to buy. The numbers sounded really great. Uh-huh. Um, I went and looked at it and then I ran it through my golden spreadsheet. Yep. And it was like, er, 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 do not buy red, this red, house. Red, red, right, red, right. Red. All reds for my uh, scorecard there. And so the property was, they're asking 150,000. Okay. Can and you the, say rents, the area. Oh Are yeah. They- yeah. It was uh, Benton Park West. Okay, so we're, it's a fourplex where they all leased out, all units? All any, units are all leased out. Can They're, you view it prior to put the offer or only I after? I did. Okay. Uh-huh. You, had to, uh, you had to show that you were pre-approved or that you had the funds before you could view it because okay. you didn't want to disturb the tenants. Great. Uh, and then the rents are twenty one fifty total. Okay. So it's $150,000 purchase, twenty one fifty total. I'm going, these numbers sound pretty good. Okay. Right? Yeah. But this golden spreadsheet that we've created is it's it's uh dang tough, right? It's, it's like, impossible. It's hard to get a property to have mm-hmm. all greens, mm-hmm. right? Unless we're buying the really really cheap properties that rent for good rents. And so this thing said don't buy it. Part of the problem is on a multifamily building like this, you have to put down 25%. Mm-hmm. And so my whole um expectation of like getting my entire down payment back within three years is just totally screwed up by by having to put down such a big down payment um but then also i take you know i take the rent whatever the rents are and i basically subtract 30 percent 10 percent for maintenance 10 percent for management 10 percent for vacancy Mm -hmm. just as a kind of trying to make like what i would consider to be a conservative estimate so i take the rent subtract that out minus then taxes insurance my mortgage payment and i even estimated like i think in this case 50 bucks a month in like building expenses you know mm-hmm. okay um, and utilities utilities something okay. like that um i'll have to pay to have the lawn mowed because because it's a multifamily you know yeah and so it was like don't do it don't do it it does meet that whole there's like a one percent rule that mm-hmm. a lot of investors follow so it it meets that great but then with all my other calculations, it was like, don't do it. And I was really disappointed because I really want to buy another property. I thought this could be it. And my spreadsheet said, run. I know. That is a tough spreadsheet, though, man. I sit around for fun all the time plugging in numbers. And then I go, well, if you buy this property for this, what? And then what if you got that much rent? And then, I mean, I just get obsessed with like changing up the mm-hmm. numbers. And I can't get all greens after. I mean, well, it you, takes it's an be extraordinary really um, amount of number changing to that get all just greens. could never even apply. Yeah, so, I don't know that you necessarily. It's like if you get all greens on a property, that also might be a bad sign, right? And so, just for the listeners, I have the spreadsheet that we made, and you enter all the details about the property and your expenses and all this stuff, and then it has what we call a scorecard, and it has like ROI and months to get your down payment back and um, gross rent multiplier and all these kind of little like formulas, right? Thresholds that different investors different use. Different investors use. Yeah, and but then not we all set, of them. We yeah. set a target for each one. 
right? Like uh, cap rate to be over 10%, for example. And then if it, if when you put the property details in, if it meets that target, then the little box turns green. And if it doesn't, then the box turns red. And so you're right. It's, it's almost impossible for it to meet every single criteria. And uh, one thing that the spreadsheet doesn't do, it doesn't consider anything related to appreciation of right. the market. Right. Right. But that's so unpredictable. It is unpredictable. Especially with multifamilies. But if you're buying a house in like a higher end area versus in a lower end area, I'm trying to say this properly, you know, lower end area, you're going to get a lot more cash flow, but the appreciation is not going to be as great, most likely. Right. The higher end area, you're going to have a lot less cash flow, but five years from now, your house is going to be worth more. You'll probably have more equity, right? Yes. And so our spreadsheet basically says only buy in the lower end areas just by the way the formulas are done. Yes. And I don't want to just only buy that. I want to have like a really diverse portfolio. So I'm going to have to buy stuff that has a lot of reds and maybe just one or two greens. You have to pick them. You have to pick them. And that's just like every investor has their threshold and you have to figure out what their criteria is. It obviously can't be every one of those, but they do each one for whatever random picks something and they hold on to that. Right. And then the other thing in this case that was weird, honestly, that was weird about this property is because all those numbers sound great to me, but the agent uh, was kind of like, I don't know how great of a deal it is. You know, like I think that they should sell for less. And I'm like, well, I certainly agree with that. Absolutely. As the buyer, you know, but um, I don't know that why, because it totally meets my criteria. Right. So regardless of whatever the spreadsheet says, if it says buy, 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 you still have to do this whole separate evaluation of what are the comps, right? Because you don't want to pay 150 for this four family if all the other four families in the area sell for 120. Yeah. You know, even right. if my spreadsheet says it's an amazing deal. So, all right, a little Herman London update. We have, um, I think we've had six realtors join us recently within the last couple months or so. And they're all... Um, not all, but I think five of the six are basically brand new. Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had the other night I hosted, and you don't know this, no one knows it except for these six people, I hosted like a brand new agent meeting. I wasn't invited? You're not a brand new agent. You already oh know gosh. all this stuff. But so what? one of the reasons I did this is because uh, I want new agents, that we people that work at our company, I want to know what's going on with them. And I want... I want them to feel comfortable. Like sometimes they're not even comfortable, like asking for help or asking for training, you know? And so, but what, the other thing that I heard from some of our agents who have been with us a while is they said, I never used to come to the company meetings because I hated seeing all these other people be successful and I'm not successful yet. And I'm like, that's a perspective I never would have even considered. That's not how my mind works, you know? And so having the new agent meeting, it went really great. I think they were all more comfortable to share about their challenges and their struggles or whatever because there wasn't someone in the room being like, what's the big deal? I sold five homes this month. You know? Yeah, you only need to buy $2,000 a month and the Zillow advertisement. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. All I do is spend $5,000 a month in billboards and it works great. Like, okay, but I'm still washing dishes at Applebee's. So, you know. Which I get. I was there too. And so we had this, it was a great meeting. They got to meet each other. We, we did a lot of sharing and they talked about where they're at and 
what they've been doing and what's working and not working. And I, and I just think it was really neat for each of them to be able to hear that from each other. And, um, Oh, I think we're going to keep meeting like on, probably on a monthly basis and do different trainings and, uh, and stuff like that. And, and I'm going to keep trying to get them to share and I kind of want them to hold each other accountable a little bit too, you know, because I know as a new agent, especially when you have another full-time job, it's hard to, I think it's hard to work all day and then come home. And the last thing you probably want to do is keep working. Mm-hmm. You just want to like Netflix and chill or walk your dog or do laundry or whatever until you have that first success or so and then it bites you this real estate thing bites you Mm -hmm. and then all you want to do is work on it right you know but and you do have to find what like drives you and there's so many different avenues in real estate and i think that that's an overwhelming thing when you're new but like the spreadsheet i could sit down for hours and just plug in numbers all day long seeing what works you know like yeah even at you know two o'clock in the morning after working all day yeah kids especially now because you have all these investors you're working with you're looking to do more investments yourself right right so the spreadsheet is really interesting to you it is you have you know you have the uh, access to be able to buy properties right mm-hmm. if you couldn't buy any property it'd probably just be frustrating to look at the spreadsheet right and see these deals and right but i also have a limited uh amount that i can put down on property so i have to play this game um correctly well, Shannon, the reason I know you're great is because we can decide to do a podcast 10 minutes later, start recording it, and then nearly an hour later, still be talking and, and, be, and you always have interesting stuff to say. Um, I think we both have given our weekly real estate update at this point. And it's just Wednesday. <laughs> it is just Wednesday. That's why we love this job. But if anyone's listening and you want to talk, as always, please send your questions, et cetera, to podcast at hermanlunder.com. If you have property to sell, please reach out. How can they get a hold of you, Shannon? So you can call me on my cell phone, 314-583-0070, or um, email me, Shannon, at livingtowergrove.com. Okay, awesome. And uh, we, we're looking for property to buy. We're looking for homes to sell as realtors. It's still a crazy market out there, right? There's still this... You listened mm. a couple weeks ago to our talking about multiple offers and stuff like that. So uh, definitely please reach out. Thank you for listening and take care.